Today's podcast delivered by Australia Post. They put everything behind your business. And with My Post Business, you can save at least 10% when sending on average five eligible parcels a week. Get more info and see the terms and conditions at auspost.com.au slash podcast. That's auspost.com.au slash podcast. Now, time for the show. Hello, you're listening to the Devils and Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. I'm Paul Colgan and I'm here with David Scott. Great to be here. And James Whelan is back with us. Uh, James, investment manager at uh, VFS Group. Thanks for coming along. Thanks, Paul. It's great to be here, mate. Uh, so uh, we are going to talk about a few things this week. It's a short time ago, the Bank of Korea uh, unexpectedly slashed its official interest rate to 1.25%. So we're going to talk a bit about um, the currency markets. Um, and central bank policy. Um, one of the other stories of the week um, has been, you know, um, the IPOs. Um, I think Guevara uh, streaming music service. Um, you know, a lot of questions being asked about the quality of its um, of, of its offer uh, to people. And Kogan uh, as well has um, declared its offer price at a dollar eighty. Um, not to throw them into the same basket, but um, we'll talk a little bit about um, the IPO scene. Um, we're going to also talk about what it's like to work in the financial sector right now in Australia. Uh, it's a really interesting time. Um, both uh, James and David have uh, had long careers in uh, financial in the financial sector, and we're going to uh, tap them for their uh, views on whether uh, finance is a good career um, to go into in, um, in, in Australia right now. And we're also, look, because we love our sport, um, we're also going to talk about um, uh, Euro 2016 um, and look ahead to that. So um, we love the, the soccer. It's going to be fun. All right, so um, let's talk about the pointy stuff that's, uh, that's been happening uh, around the world. Bank of Korea just cut rates to 1.25%. Joining the monetary easing party, um, there's a conga line of central bank interest rate cutting suckholes rushing to try and stimulate their domestic economies by, cut, by cutting official interest rates. Look, the big exception to this this week was the Reserve Bank of Australia. Uh, I wrote a piece with the headline that the RBI, RBA uh, blindsided everybody um, with its statements on interest rates. Um, I'm just going to read a short um, excerpt from the statement, and then I'm going to throw to David, and David will talk a little bit through what actually happened in response to um, the following words. Taking account of the available information and having eased monetary policy at its May meeting, the board judged that holding the stance of policy unchanged at this meeting would be consistent with sustainable growth in the economy and inflation returning to target over time. David, how did that go down in markets? Well, it came as a bit of a surprise uh, is the honest answer to that one. Um, clear neutral bias when most of the markets, not everyone, but the vast majority were expecting that there was going to be a further rate cut at some point in the near future. Um, what it indicates is that uh, whilst the RBA can still cut rates and they can cut rates at any time and it doesn't have to be at a meeting, uh, they're just not signalling at this point in time. Uh, they're waiting for further information to come through. Uh, which more than likely will be uh, in the case of, uh, of, say, the next few months, particularly in the lead-up to August meeting, will be uh, what happens with the Federal Reserve and also what happens with the Australian CPI data that comes out uh, in late July. Uh, I think they're waiting to go and see exactly what that says. If it's uh, another subdued inflation reading, it, look, it looks like it's going to be, there's every chance that they're going to cut again. But at this stage, they're not in any rush. They've indicated that in the minutes of their prior meeting in uh 
when they in their May meeting when they said that uh, they were had to be persuaded to go and, uh, and cut interest rates. Uh, so all things being equal, like no, they're still willing to go and cut interest rates. They're still sort of signalling they're going to do it, but they're just not in a rush to do it at this point in time. Um, James, um, there um, was probably an expectation, right, that the the RBA was um, going to leave some kind of door open to cutting. Um, was that your read of it? Is there's a question, right? So is that door now shut? That's that's the first question. Now go back to a month ago when they when they cut. So ask me a month ago, everyone said, okay, they cut today. A few of us got it wrong, a few of us got it right. And, and they may cut next month, they may cut the month after, and, and, and there'll be more down the pipe. The, what was great was that in the interim, the US data came in, and Yellen was talking that, 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 that they were going to do a rate rise, brought our dollar down. So the US was doing all the heavy lifting for the RBA, and the RBA is thinking, this is great, so we don't have to keep going, you know, join the conga line of well-put... I won't say that, but yeah, well put Colgo too before. Interest rate cutting suckholes. Yeah, there you go. Well, um, put that on the headline. The, uh, and so, so the US is doing all the, head, uh, the, the heavy lifting with regards to the currency. Now, the US is basket cased on that NFP data, the non-farm payrolls data on Friday night. So there's more questions. So uh, the hold the line, everyone's factoring in at least one. Oh, everyone. David, you'd know it better than I would, but uh, how many people are factoring in a rate cut in the next few months now? A few? Oh, look, the vast majority of economists still think that there's going to be another rate cut. Uh, with, with the easing bias, the absence of the easing bias in the, uh, in the June statement, uh, look, I loathe to go and do any criticism of the RBA. I think they've done a fantastic job over the years. But uh, to go and keep a lid on the Aussie dollar, they, in my opinion, they probably should have gone and inserted an easing bias. It doesn't mean they have to go and act upon it, but it just gives them an indication in the rest of the markets that, hey, we're still looking to go and cut interest rates. But say the Federal Reserve uh, goes... Uh, and decides to go and lift rates, say like the uh, the uh, non-farm payrolls data that came out last Friday was an anomaly. Uh, certainly the JOLTS data last night that came out of the States was far stronger than what uh, many expected. Uh, it just would have kept a lid on the Aussie, and we're seeing the, the consequence of that now. Uh, the US dollar has been continuing to weaken, and then with that slightly reduced expectation, the markets that the RBA will go and, uh, and cut, you see the Aussie dollar is now oscillating around 75 and you know, briefly went through there this morning. From 71 and a half at the end of May through to 75 now, just on all this nonsense. Uh, so that's a question. I've got another question, though, for you. I'll throw one back to you guys, right? So if they, RBA took the CPI data so seriously or seriously enough to make a cut, which they did on that one, on that one bad CPI, CPI number, then are they going to take it as seriously this next time? And if they don't, are they being hypocritical? That's a question. We've seen in the last few weeks. I think one of the one of the big things that's happened in the last few weeks has been. It looks like the oil price has found a bottom, right? So probably really one of the most important um, inputs into the global inflation outlook, right? So it's heading for fifty one dollars today. It's up above fifty 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 dollars and fifty cents. Um, so. You know, potentially, we're, you know, if if that continues to rise, then that might start to push up uh, prices um, across a whole range of industries, um, push up um, bottom line pressures on um, on a whole bunch of um, on a whole bunch of companies. And the thing about the oil price is, obviously, I don't know this is pretty rudimentary stuff, but it's universal in terms of its um, effect on. 
um, on companies, on supply chains, and the things that we consume and buy on a day-to-day basis. So I think there's two things happening. Maybe the Fed is on a trajectory to start lifting rates, and maybe there are some signs of some inflation pressures starting to build in the or some inflationary forces starting to build where we've been for a long time now this has only been going in one direction which is inflation has had downward pressure on it there's a few signs so a few signs that it's it's that might the bottom might be in on inflation that would be my response to that at the same time when you see bank of korea like this week coming out and hoeing into its economy and feeling the pressure to try and um, cut prices Korea is a massive exporter. Um, we buy so many cars and electrical goods from Korea. If its prices are coming down, we are going to import some of that deflationary or disinflationary um, uh, force. So I think it's a really, really, really good question. Um, David, ask you what your take is on it. Well, I might have to rethink my uh, my theory uh, with the BOK uh, earlier today, but certainly what I've seen in the uh, from the RBA and the RBNZ statements this week, there's a, they're putting a lot of faith that uh, there's no need to go and produce any further stimulus in their economy uh, to go and, and bolster inflation expectations and bolster economic growth. Uh, and that to me says either that they have some sort of better understanding as what the Federal Reserve's expected pathway for rates are. Of course, if the US goes and hikes rates, that will put downward pressure on the Aussie and Kiwi dollars and that will help lift inflation expectations. Uh, the other side of it is, you know, do they expect that the oil price rise that we're seeing and look, it's continuing to go now, as you said, it's, you know, it's closing in on 51 bucks when I was, uh, just looking a few minutes ago. Uh, that they think it's going to be sustained, but it was interesting. It's definitely an interesting shift from those two central banks, and they're putting a lot of faith that existing stimulus is already in place. The expectation that the Fed's going to raise uh, interest rates will go and do the job for them. Uh, whether that's actually going to come to fruition is the, uh, the big, big question. Um, so one of the other big things that happened on global markets this week was the thing that everybody sort of raised their eyebrows at was a huge jump in um, the value of sterling against the US dollar and a whole bunch of other currencies jumped by 200 basis points in a matter of a couple of minutes. Uh, really, really weird, right? So the theory Someone is... Someone spilled the coffee. Somebody spilled the coffee or what it's, uh, as it's described in markets, a fat finger trade. Some idiot um, punched in a seven um, at the end of his uh, trade uh, entry instead of a five. Um, I used to work with a DTR whose nickname was Sausage Fingers. <laughs> how much did he cost you? Uh, there's a rule. I won't say how, there's a rule that says that if the trading error is more than your salary, just pack your stuff and, <laughs> and, and go. And that's, that's the old rule that's been around for a long time. It, it, it's, there's more checks and balances in place to stop that happening now. But you know, back, in the, back in the day, the old Sausage Fingers. Because, look, the, the problem is with these, right? So if you look at the... The, where the pound was tracking um, before that happened. Dead flat, wasn't moving, Asian trading session, um, and, you know, when typically the, the pound is traded more in the, in the um, Western Hemisphere's um, uh, trading, trading days, um, so through Europe and the U.S. Um, business hours. Um, so it was dead flat through the Asian session, and then all of a sudden, whack, and everybody panicked. There was a sense of, for a minute or two, there was a sense of, Christ, what is going on? Is there a new poll on the British referendum? 
Um, so it was a bit could have easily been that people were believing that that was the case, it, that, 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 this, that cable could move so ferociously on a poll result says just how volatile that currency cross actually is at the moment. Let, let's just, I just want to clarify, cable is a nickname uh, for um, the pound. It's because the, there was a big cable. That it's from the, the, you know this, David, right? Go on. No, you go. Oh, in terms of the name of the, the, uh, the currency, I'll leave that for another day. We've uh, only got a limited period of time here. Um, you're right. Everyone was thinking that it was a poll result because everything's been, you know, sterling has been driven by poll results for you know, the, the best part of probably a month now to you know, really, really strong movements. Um, from my experience in currency markets, uh, it came around about 5 o'clock in the morning UK time. Uh, there was no obvious poll that was released. Uh, to me, it's uh, obviously you've got this Brexit vote coming up in uh, a little over three weeks or a little under three weeks' time now, I think it is. Um, and you've got a lot of risk managers who are telling their traders to go and pull back on their liquidity uh, in, in cable because there's, there's so much volatility in it. Then we're facing an unprecedented thing that, that markets have never experienced before. So if you do have some numb nuts who goes and puts in a, a wrong, uh, wrong figure or something along those lines, quite easily you can go and trip, uh, you know, trip a, a whole lot of stops. Then you have a whole lot of uh, algo uh, that will go and follow the momentum of that trade. And quite easily, in a thin, thinly traded time zone, look, most of Europe wasn't up. It was Asia, and Asia you know, barely pays any interest in, into cable at all. Uh, to me, that's what it felt like from a gut feeling perspective. Uh, once, and once it popped up, I also noticed too that it fell back fairly quickly, not to the whole way, but it fell back uh, you know, quite a long way as well which indicated to me that perhaps it was some sort of error trade and uh, certainly created a, a talking point for the markets for the, uh, the next 30 or so minutes. Everyone loves, a good, everyone loves a good fat finger error that goes through. There's a special award at the, uh, the Stockbrokers Awards every year for who's, uh, who's put in the biggest uh, error trade, the fat finger, um, broken market trade of the year. And, you know, we've, always, we've all been a part of it, but it was a good story. Talking about the volatility and the implied and the referendum, I mean, I'll, I'll just go on with, you know, you mentioned Brexit, a couple of weeks coming up. The morning of the 24th, 10 a.m., we're going to start to see some numbers coming through. But cable, so, so the pound US has the highest implied volatility since 2009 at the moment. This is, it's moving around all over the place. That sort of thing probably didn't help with the, you know, with the fat finger that goes in there. But, but so from 10 a.m., we're going to start seeing some numbers because that's when the polls close in the, in the UK. Investment banks, it's been reported that, that, that some of the big banks are going to have, there's no official exit polling being done by the uh, the electoral whatever the alternative electoral commission is over in Britain, but the banks are going to have guys out there doing exit polling so that they can be ahead of these numbers, as before they're going to be started to be counted. So, 10 a.m. we'll see some numbers coming through. That's also when the futures trading for the FTSE starts going as well. A Friday at 10 a.m. too, David. You know that better than I would, right? So it's going to be it's going to be even more volatile. What's going on? If there is a Brexit vote in the in the positive. Watch the world end. Yeah, we, we, it, it, this is going to be, it would be real, be the real deal, because the uncertainty around the European, the future of the whole European project. The question of, and, and then the next question, and I know the headline that you guys would put out minutes after the Brexit vote comes through is uh, if it's positive, or it's a, if, if they want to leave, it's going to be who's next? Who's next? Germany? They're sick of carrying all the weight. They've been carrying all the weight. Or then it's just going to be people who don't really want to be a part of it. France, I think, will be the answer that you're looking for there. There's a lot of uprising and uh, I think a lot of uh, hostility towards what's uh, been happening recently. Uh, 
So that will be my pick. If uh, the if, uh, UK goes, then I think France will go, then that will be a complete and utter uh, devastation That's of the, the, uh, the experiment. The experiment will be completely, utterly over them. Spot on. Spot on. I mean, watch it. Go, go. If I can indulge in my sort of political enthusiasm for a little bit, I think one of the really interesting things about these kind of votes is, um, well, you know, beyond Australia where we have compulsory voting, these jurisdictions, so like we have in the US, which is going to happen later on this year, um, in the UK and, of course, a whole bunch of other um, um, countries around the world, there's an important, vital political force which is getting out the vote. So if you were to, when you look at the in, people who definitely intend to vote, the polls are showing dead heat. So it may come down to a matter of a few percentage points. If it was, if you just asked people, do you intend to vote and how will you vote? It's 50-50. Um, if the Remain campaign was able to generate turnout, then it would probably, if, if there was compulsory voting, you'd probably get it over the line by a fair few points, 53, 47, something like that, maybe a bit more. Um, but the issue is they've got to motivate people, and it changes the campaign dynamics. And the Leave campaign, the Leave the European Union campaign, has been more successful. I think they're tapping into a sense of exhaustion amongst people about regulation and the, the 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 force of government coming from from Brussels etc but this is now dead real this is this could have a enormous effect couldn't it this will be something that we do talk about for a long long time two people that 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 for many years the experiment was was progressing and then all of a sudden it just stopped almost overnight it's going to stop i'll tell you what though and i hate to say it, i hate to say it i'll leave it on this anyone who thinks that that the the, the leave campaign has won it doesn't matter what the voting shows. It could be the night before. If there is some sort of substantial event, and by that I mean some sort of terrorist attack, I, I pray that that is not going to happen. But if there is, everything changes, and then it's on. It's a, it's a significant, substantial event right before the vote changes everything, and then the world ends. We've got to be a little bit careful about what we speculate about because it's a, you know those those kind of things. Obviously, you know, there's always a chance, but a, you're right, the, the, the whole, um, the next couple of weeks, um, I mean, you know, we talk about a week being a long time in politics. We are closing in now on a, what is going to be a very, very important day for the, um, for, for the European Union. Um, so July, or sorry, June the 24th, folks, put it in your diaries. It's June the 24th in Australia, the morning of, um, and we are going to be covering that live on Business Insider with our team in the UK and the US. Um, and, um, you know, we'll have live reporting out of London. Um, so make sure that, um, you come and check us out because we'll have all the takes on, you know, obviously the results of the polls, but obviously the, the market reaction to that too. You're listening to the Devils and Details podcast on Business Insider Australia. Um, don't forget, you can find us at, online at businessinsider.com.au and on Twitter at B-I-A-U-S. I'm here with David Scott from Business Insider and James Whelan, Investment Manager at BFS Group. Don't forget, you can rate us on iTunes um, and uh, leave us a review on there too. Okay, um, so both of you guys have been uh, in financial markets for more than a decade. Um, 
the financial services sector, when you look at the um, services, PMIs, and you know the areas that are growing in the economy right now, financial services has been doing really, really well for a change for the last few years. Come out of the GFC, maybe there's a you know bit more um, sort of you know sunny skies above for um, for people in financial markets. David, would you recommend a career in financial markets to uh, youngsters right now? Like how you're laughing when you're uh, throwing to me there. Depends what floats your boat, to be honest. Um, if you're interested in financial markets and being a trader or being a dealer or something in those lines, forget about it, in my own honest opinion. Uh, I think that at this stage that uh, everything's going increasingly electronic. Uh, the days of having massive dealing rooms are gone. If you want to go and do trading, I suggest you go and probably follow someone like Asar Tanus on, uh, on Twitter and go and do it for yourself because uh, that's, I think, going to be where the future is uh, if you wish to go down that path. If you love looking at spreadsheets and being a risk manager and being part of compliance, then, hey, look, the world is your oyster for the next uh, 10 years. Then, Because of the greedy banks and the greedy traders that, uh, that went and created the financial crisis, that's where the world is going at the moment. Um, so if that's what, uh, that was what you're into... Personally, not me. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's an area you can go and I certainly look forward to. It was only recently, maybe when the Aussie dollar was back up in sort of mid-80 cents, I spoke to a currency trader from one of the major investment banks, big, big global investment bank. Uh, this guy would run billions of dollars uh, in client money. And he was saying that the problem was he couldn't share, an, he can't share an opinion with clients because of the regulation because he thinks... Um, he, he needs to do it very, very delicately because of the way that he can be put on the hook for sharing that opinion if the client loses money. His opinion is moving markets and he's afraid that that's what it's going to do or is he afraid that his opinion, clients will just, if he makes an offhand remark about it, then clients will follow him through it and he's, and he's on the hook for it? The former. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's concerned about, you know, if he expresses an opinion and the, and the client loses money, then he's going to be on the hook. Um, and this is not an uncommon sentiment. So he was talking about the Aussie. His theory was, and everybody's was in the market at the time, that the Aussie was going to crash through the floor. Um, and it has um, from the levels that it was at at the time that we had that conversation. But, um, James, maybe you can talk about um, some of the pressures from the regulation side. I think that what's happened recently, definitely this industry is much different from when it was when I started out in a, in a stockbroking firm when 10, 12 years ago. And, and even before that, when I was in the surveillance department at the ASX, which was a fanta- gave you a fantastic insight into what the regulator at the time was seeing in, in, on dealing floors too, and how little access they actually had to what was going on inside um, boiler rooms or, you know, the, the dealing rooms, sometimes boiler rooms. The... The changes that came through, I mean, the enforceable undertakings that, that certain brokers had, um, not mentioning any names, but the, you know, for not providing uh, statements of advice to clients uh, in, in a, in, in, at all, which was really bad back then, brought over-regulation on the whole thing. FOFA came in. FOFA wasn't originally intended for brokers. It was, it was which is, just um, to clarify, it's the future of financial advice reforms. That's, yes, thanks, Paul. Sorry, I do talk that way sometimes. The, uh, and, and that wasn't originally intended for brokers, but we got, we got pulled into it as well under the, under the entire scope of, the, of what they were looking at. So now we were a part of it, and, and all brokers have seen is, from the broking side, all we've seen is thinner margins to pay for uh, burgeoning compliance departments to cope with all of this stuff that's going on, the extra paperwork, the extra requirements to ensure that people are... are acting 
fair and according to the regulations that are there with regards to contact with retail clients. The other thing that we're seeing is that some dealers and some broking firms just flat out are not dealing with retail clients anymore and they are squeezing that bottom end of the market out, which is hard. We haven't, absolutely not. I mean, VFS group, personal advice, retail clients, that's, that's, that's where we focus because we are very, very compliance heavy. But some of the bigger ends of town have, have, have when Goldman's raised their minimum account cap to a million dollars, that, that took a lot of people out of there because they just didn't want to be dealing with that side of the, that side of the business. The regulation, controversial I know, is the regulations that are supposed to have protected retail clients in Australia has actually made it harder for retail clients to receive good advice. And that's bad. Well, I think that's a really good um, illustration of how, uh, uh, because of the consequence of regulation, of, of, a, of a law, they're just like, okay, we're not dealing with these small accounts anymore. It's just easier to not deal with retail clients. So it's harder to make bigger conviction bets when you are a smaller level investor. That is correct. It makes it hard. It, it does make it harder to. Well, the conviction. I mean, have a look at some of the the the, the online offerings that are out there. Comsec, strong offering, fantastic for the retail. So there's you know there's they have portals, they have research, they have things that are on there. But sometimes you want to be able to pick up the phone and talk to someone about the position that you're in and your circumstances and what you're after, and you want a professional at the other side of the phone who's looking at screens, who's in the industry, who can say, based on what you have told me, I can provide this advice. And the market is moving away from that. And the people who still maintain that, we're a rare breed, but they're getting fewer. Yeah, a, in my opinion, there's a clear risk that they're over-regulating the markets now. Uh, they're getting to the point where so many people who used to go and provide market liquidity was uh, who were there have basically either been removed or banks or financial institutions have stopped trading particular products. So it's actually helping to go and create uh, volatility in financial markets, if that makes sense. I uh, know simply less people being around to go and actually you know trade and provide liquidity in these marketplaces. Um, You're right, there is no volume anymore. And there's no money, money behind it. I was reminded, I'll let, sorry, I'll let you finish, but I'm going to let you finish. But I remember when I was at UBS, it was 2007, October, I believe it was, the 25th. UBS itself, which was about 10% of the market, did $3 billion in turnover. And that's 10%. And I remember that. I was there and we celebrated because we cracked the $3 billion, the $3 billion mark. And that was only 10% of the market. Now, the entire market struggles to, to, to get around that area. The, the, the volume has been sucked out of it. And the volatility has increased, therefore, because you've got thinner markets, and just across the spread in some of these stocks, you can move it by percentage points. Go Correct. on. If they want to go and regulate things in the financial system, whilst a lot of people in financial markets made silly, stupid bets uh, and were over-eager to go and take on risk positions during the, in the lead-up to the financial crisis, we have to look about the, what the root cause of the problem was, and that's where I think that they should, the regulators should be concentrating their other efforts on, is to see the underlying assets that led to that financial crisis occurring. Uh, if you want to go and look where risks at the moment, then it's a pretty obvious space, particularly in a country like Australia. Look, one area where there hasn't been problems with volume um, has been um, the number of IPOs coming on the market, right? Um, and this is also one of the areas where sometimes you're thankful that there is a really tough cop on the beat, because this week one of the, one of the biggest stories in um, 
in in um, not just uh, the finance world, but also in the startup industry that you know Malcolm Turnbull is hanging his hat on, you know, um, in terms of helping to transform the future of the Australian economy, is Govera, a music streaming service, loss making, um, has strange relationships with um, the CEO's private equity vehicle uh, called AMMA um, that Guevara pays AMMA a um, bunch of fees I think something like 22 million dollars um, has um, has been invoiced um, from uh, from AMMA to Guevara um, and these guys were going to try and list um, and ASIC from today, um, the time that we're recording this, uh, it's Thursday, um, ASIC has said, no, guys, stop. You're not doing this. We've got a few questions for you. Uh, James, what, is, has, what has been the talk in, in markets? Let's be careful about what we say here, um, stick to the facts, but what has been the talk in markets, and do you think this is helpful uh, with, with companies like this trying to rush into the ASX? I will, I will obviously stick to the facts and, and keep opinions to a minimum until we're you know, we're outside of this room. But the, uh, what's going to happen now is, would ASIC have stepped in and said something had there not been such criticism of of Guevara by very reputable sources that it, that had said so? I'd like to think that they would have, right? It's great. I'm a big supporter of the, the regulator. The system needs regulation and it needs people looking after it. Well, now here's the debate, okay? Is, uh, is it the ASX as an ASIC's responsibility to stop companies from listing or should everything be should the onus be on the, the investor caveat emptor buyer beware latin well done and and that's the debate now so whose whose problem and whose responsibility is it because right now it, it it i think that the 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 mood was it's with regards to the Guevara Guevara i'm going to go with either way on that one uh, that that if that had been if that's going to go through then any potentially you know any person with a with a small balance sheet, two turntables, and a microphone can go and can go and list on the ASX. That's not good. That's not. It, it just comes back to that's going to hurt retail retail investors even more. Everyone gets caught up in the caught up in the fad, and people get burnt on the next one. If, if four will go well, and then the one will, is going to be the one that eats you. That, that's right. I mean, two turn, two turntables and a microphone. I mean, you know, just to be pissy about it, but you know. Conceivably, we have two microphones here, right? So there could be um, three of us listing devils in details. Um, you know, we buy a mining shell, um, you know, chuck in, chuck in some of our, uh, of our money. I think it's $5 million you need to raise, isn't it? Uh, what is it? Yeah, I think it's five. And you also need, what is it, 400 investors? Or is it 100 investors that you need to go IPO that's in there? It's got to be a spread of, it's got to be a spread of, of investors that's here too. So we'd have to go down to Ryan's Bar. And just shake the tin around and take some names down. But you know, without two microphones, you know, we could we could, we could dominate this. This right? is a great business. Disrupting, yeah, and there you go. But I, okay, you know, you are. It's 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 all tongue in cheek, obviously. But go on, Paul. Sorry. No, I'm not going to go on about our plan to list this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm putting together a term sheet as we speak. Actually, seven oh eight only on this one. Okay. Um, right, just very quickly, let's look at some of the sport. Um, how do you guys, how do you guys, um, like, just quickly, um, how do you, um, Geelong beat, um, Greater Western Sydney last week. How do you guys like the Giants? They're going well, aren't they? Well, massive game this weekend. Battle of the Bridge. Bring on the Swannies victory, hopefully. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how GWS are going. Like, they're, 
they're definitely a top eight side, and at times they look like they're in a premiership material, but then other times as well, they are, uh, no, they, they still look like they've got a, a young list. But no, I think Glory's going to come to that team in the, uh, the, the next couple of years, but maybe not this year. Swans, on the other hand, you know, I, I liked him at the start of the season, then I wrote him off, but uh, the bookies have him as favourites now, which I don't like, but uh, no, we'll see how they go. Mate, you were up in the Gold Coast to watch them play in the rain, weren't you? That's right, equipped with my, uh, my snorkel and uh, duck webbed feet to, uh, to go and get through up there. It was, um, it was a crazy experience. Um, I think, I'm not sure whether it was the smallest crowd ever for an AFL game or the smallest crowd involving uh, GWS, a home match there. But uh, I know the 4,300, I think it was, Brave Souls who went there. Um, congratulations to you. It was a great game to go and watch. The, uh, the Swannies put on a great performance. And look, everyone got, uh, got through unscathed relatively, which I was uh, most concerned about because the... Uh, Look, I was impressed with the surface uh, up at Metricon Stadium, but it was just torrential rain. I, Waking up on Saturday morning, it was like a cyclone outside. All the furniture on the uh, the front of my uh, apartment was blown into a corner. Uh, no, the, the, the waves were like, crashing up. Uh, no, no beach can be seen at Burley, where I was staying. Um, so just the fact they got on, uh, let alone the Swans' victory, made it a great weekend. Yeah, it was uh, it was appalling conditions up there. I couldn't, I actually couldn't watch it all the way through on television because from myself looking not you know, the brave soul that you are going all the way up to, to Metricon to go and see it. On television, it looked like they were broadcasting one of those club games <laughs> that, you know, that the, the second division that they occasionally put on put on the TV because there's no crowd behind it, and I just couldn't watch it. It's, it's, it was very disconcerting watching this, doing the centre bounce, you know, the centre throw from not in anywhere near the square as well because it was under three foot of water. But I'll tell you what, if it rains on Sunday, and I'm just checking the weather here, if it rains on Sunday, then... It's an equaliser, and then Giants are a chance. Otherwise, the Swans will get it by a couple of goals, um, but I just hope that Giants put in a really good show. As a Swans fan myself, I do like to see the Swannies win. As a Sydney band, I like to see our little cousins uh, do well too. Yeah, a good game would be be a a great result for everyone. but, of course, the Swans' victory will be even nicer. Um, I just hope that, uh, that Johnny Lamar is uh, giving the boys a big rest because uh, you know, that, uh, that ground last week would have taken a whole lot out of him. So I'm sure he's done that, and I'm sure they're raring to go. The other thing that's happening this weekend, uh, UEFA European Championship. Goldman Sachs has a note out this week. The, uh, using financial models to predict the outcome of the, 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 the European Championship. Their final that they've picked um, is... Um, Spain versus France. They're giving France a 23.1% chance of victory compared to 199 for, um, uh, 2014 World Cup winners Germany. Um, and they're, they're, they're saying that they, they reckon, uh, it'll be Spain in the final against, uh, France, um, and the semis being Germany against France. That old, um, good old clash of, um, uh, uh, friendly nations and then, uh, Spain versus England. Uh, James, uh, what are you looking forward to? Uh, looking forward to a few really, really good games. I'm looking forward to, because w- originally we thought that they were going to be very unfavourable times. I love good football, but we thought that they were going to be at terrible times, 2 a.m.s and 3 a.m.s, things like that. The first game is on at about 11 o'clock. No, no, but, uh, every night when it's, when it's playing, you've got an 11 p.m. game, which is great to watch. Then you've got a 5 a.m. game. It's fantastic. Up, coffee, maybe a bit of Irish, Paul, um, and, and you can watch, you know, you can watch the game. The first game is, Saturday morning, 5 a.m., and that's the French, uh, that's the French game, and that's going to be good. There's a few really good games. Seeing England try and get through to the semis is going to be, as always, hilarious. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind seeing some of the underdogs get through, uh, uh, you know, try and get a few wins up. Iceland is in there too. That's very interesting. Go Iceland. As well. 
What we are going to be robbed of is a any chance. I think that there is no chance that there's going to be a Russia Ukraine game anywhere through it, which I think that would be interesting. Uh, myself, my pick. I think that the Germany doesn't quite have what it takes. I think that France, no clear favourite there. The wheels may have fallen off Spain a little bit there as well. England will find some way of choking at the at the obvious level. My pick, because I, I love an outsider and I love an underdog, is going to be Belgium. Uh, I think that they that, that, that they've got a decent run and they might just be able to get through. The Devils. That's the, there. The Devils are there. And uh, look, I think that. They'll, they'll be sympathetic favourites as well, but uh, people are going to love the Devils getting through. And I think that for us here on the, on the, on the Devils and Details podcast, is, uh, they might be our, our favourites as well. That's right. And unfortunately, Turkey aren't through, aren't through so Hungary can't play um, Turkey. So it's um, another terrible miss. What a, what, a, what a European Union where half of the countries hate the other half for some various and obvious and significant reasons that's there. And then is, is, by the time they get to the final, England may not be in the Euro. Do they get to play? That's right. Well, it's, look, it's the, the European Championship. <laughs> disappointing markets since 2012, right? <laughs> Misses to the downside. Um, okay, you've been listening to the Devils in Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. This show is produced by Josh Nicholas. Uh, I'm Paul Colgan. I've been here with David Scott. Thank you, and a no, pleasure to be here again. And James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. You can find James at vfsgroup.com.au. Thanks for coming on, James. Thanks, Paul. It's always great, mate. We'll talk to you soon. This podcast was delivered by Australia Post. If you've ever received a branded package, you'll know it's a small detail that makes a big first impression. Now with Australia Post, you can design your own personalised packaging. For more info, go to auspost.com.au slash podcast. That's auspost.com.au slash podcast.